Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Tons of college football for you. We're going into a huge week. The Utes need the bounce back win against San Diego State. They need to get to 2-1. A loss would be an enormous red flag. The Cougars, chance to go 3-0. Chance to beat a ranked Arizona State team at home. And at that point, BYU will be favored in a long string of games, possibly every game the rest of the season, and a chance to put together a very good season. But can they avoid the emotional hangover? You win a big game. Are you going to be ready to answer the bell for the next one against Arizona State? That question is going to loom all week until we see how BYU starts the game against Arizona State. All right, we're going to get to the Cougars in a second. We're going to start with the Utes. We're going to start with Britton Covey. Talking with P.K., about needing leadership, about needing strong leaders to make sure that they get on track and play these next couple of games the right way, beat San Diego State and then into the conference opener with Washington State. I'm taking them two at a time. The youths are taking them one at a time. Here is PK with Britton Covey. It's so easy to be a leader when things are going great. I don't even know if that is leadership because everybody's kind of leading themselves in that point. So when things are going really hard and things are rough, that leadership is really important. So I've talked with some of the leaders about this. The most important thing that we can do is, um, in my opinion, is take ownership of what you control. It's so easy to put the blame on other things. You know, I'm sure, like, uh, players want to put the blame on coaches. Coaches want to put the blame on players. I mean, if you go on social media, you'll see people calling for Coach Witt's job and and things like that. And it's just so easy to get wrapped up in whose fault it is and things and and it's all about just taking ownership um because that gives that i don't know it brings a sense of freedom to you it's like i control this i don't control a lot of what's outside of me right circle of influence circle of control uh so for me right now it's talking to the position group leaders and saying you need to talk to your position group to take ownership um because you know i'm not going to have the biggest effect on the linebacker group but devin lloyd will i'm not going to have the biggest effect effect on the DBs, but uh, Vontae Davis will. So I'm going to talk to them and say, let's get together as your groups and take ownership of this. And like I said, somber today, really somber in the facility. You know, we got humbled, um, which I think is good. But man, you don't want that to last for more than a day, in my opinion. I, I just don't think that that's good for a team. You got to get your swagger back. You got to be happy. You got to come to work, you know, excited. And, and so I think that's what I'm going to try and do. <clears throat> Can you relate it to 2019? It was it was a conference game, but it was still early in the year. You lost that first game, and there was a lot of frustration in the post-game interviews and doing when we were doing all that. And Coach Whittingham said, well, everything is still in front of us. We can win the next game, the next eight games, and you did. Yeah, well, it, anyone that says that you won't lose in life is just lying. You're going to lose. It's not a matter of, you know, if, but it's when. And it's all about just, you know, it's so um, – What's the word cliche? It's so cliche, but it all, it's all about how you respond, especially a loss early in the season. A loss in midseason, I don't think is as disappointed as, as a loss early in the season because you go into the season not thinking you're going to lose a single game, right? Such high expectations. You lose one early to your rival, and it's just devastating. But then you realize that doesn't affect a single thing in our conference play. Our goal is still to win the Pac-12 championship, go to the Rose Bowl, things like that. And... That's where the leadership comes in, I think. It's very similar to 2019. You saw what that team did, right? Mm-hmm. So 
it's so easy as a fan. I mean, I know this because I'm a jazz fan, right? It's so easy to overreact to certain <laughs> things in certain games. Um, but you got to simplify things and say, okay, where can we improve? Um, you, you watch the film and there were certain things where it's just so obvious that okay, that's why it didn't work. It was just one thing. And mm -hmm. so simplifying things, I think that 2019 cast had a great group of leaders. But do you make sure, though, that you tr don't try to do too much? Like in your case, you know, if the offense is sputtering on Saturday and you get a punt, but it doesn't set up for a good return, you got to make sure that you're still doing the right thing? Yes, absolutely. And it's hard to. I think sometimes you want to, you know, I want to take every punt yeah, and not yeah, call yeah. fair catches yeah. and things like that. But that's where it goes back to, okay, you have to trust people who do things that aren't your your position, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's all about taking ownership of your job and trusting the guys in their job. And it's hard to do that. It's kind of like delegating, right? It's really hard to delegate certain things, but it's at the end of the day, the best leaders do that. You talked about being somber, and to a certain degree, that's healthy. Right. But you can't be somber too long. How would you evaluate the duration of the somberness now? And now you still right. got, uh, you know, you got to get get past it. Right. Well, I was telling Jeff. Um, Everybody, you know the saying that everybody grieves differently or mourns differently. I think that's true, but for the sake of respecting a lot of the competitors in the building, I think that we make it a rule that everybody has to come in and have that demeanor. Because if I come in and I see two players joking around, I freak out at them. You know, I got mad at a couple younger guys today because they were joking around before the lift. Um, just as a thing of respect to the competitors in the room that it still just hurts, you know. Uh, but man, you do not want that to carry over, especially early in the season. You can't have that carry over. That's why I said you can't overreact. You can't have that carry over. I'm going to come in tomorrow and be goofy Brit. I'm going to be excited. I'm going to go in and get in a fight during practice. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do, but it just, you got to come in and, because we had swagger and you lose it for a weekend, but man, you bring it back and that's up to you. It's, you know, don't rely on someone else to bring it back. Is that swagger easily lost and is it easily to get back? How does that work? It's easily lost, it's difficult to get back, I think, just realistically. Uh, that's why you need multiple people to do it. And uh, you need your, your leaders to do it. You need Devin Lloyd to come out with that swagger. You need to have a bounce back game where you bring that swagger back. I mean, you see it, I think, every week in college football where <laughs> if we have a great game this weekend, you know, next week, it's just like that comes back. You, you know, it's all about yeah, like Stanford did. Uh, yeah, like Stanford. Think of Stanford after last game. I'm sure all their fans were calling for Coach Shaw to be fired or whatever. Like yeah, that, That's yeah. just the reality of sports nowadays. Uh, but now, my best friend Gabe plays for Stanford, and everybody's like, this is our year, right? So that's just kind of how it is. And yeah. you got to roll with the punches, never too high, never too low, and know where your value lies. Know that this team is good. Bring that swagger. and yeah. Did, you, did you hear that Clay Helton got fired? I did hear that. Like maybe yeah. that opens it up even more in the South in anybody's yeah. game? Well, I mean, that was surprising. I didn't even know that would that could happen that early in the season. I talked to Clay at Pac-12 Media Day. He's a great guy. Mm -hmm. um, I have no idea what impact that would, would have on a team. You know, if Coach Witt got fired, that would be a big thing, you know, so early on. So, you know feel for him. That's tough. There is PK with Britton Covey. When we come back, we will hear from the Cougars. James Empey on the way. The offensive line looking really good. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. 
when I break it down. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. After their emotional win against the Utes, BYU welcomes in another Pac-12 opponent as Arizona State rolls into Lavelle Edwards Stadium this Saturday. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 6 with a postgame show immediately following the game on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to hear from the BYU Cougars coming off the big win over Utah. Can they back it up? Can they beat ASU? Kalani's been talking about the depth, about having enough bodies to handle this kind of schedule, a third straight game against the Pac-12 South. Beating Arizona, sure, it's kind of old hat. The 3-0 now under Kalani against the Wildcats. But beating the Utes, breaking that streak after going nine straight games without beating the Utes, that's a big deal. Now here come the Sun Devils, who they haven't seen in Seen since the 90s. Haven't seen him since Kalani was playing. Here is James Empey after the BYU offensive line turned in a strong performance against the University of Utah. James, what was it like to be able to go watch the film from that game and see what your boys did against a very strong Utah defense? Uh, looking at the film, it was, you know, it was fun that winning that game was, you know, a blast and checking out the film. There, there's a lot we can improve on, um, like there, there always will be. But, you know, I'm proud of the way the guys played and how, uh, you know, we, we were just able to get it done when it mattered most. And, and so, yeah, really proud of the guys. Thought we took a big step and, uh, you know, had a great time on Saturday. How much pride is it for you when, you know, you guys need a, need points and the offensive line rose to the challenge. You ran the ball a lot on that series and just drove the team down and, you know, kind of forced it down their throats. Yeah, that was a really fun drive. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, everybody on that, the offense and, and the defense made plays when, when we needed them most and, and were able to, you know, buckle down and, and uh, make it happen in, in crunch time, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm proud of the way the guys uh, all were able to step up and, you know, watching watching the film and, and watching, you know, the just the offense play and how hard the running backs are running and, and the decisions Jan was making and, you know, the plays the receivers were making. I'm just really proud of how he came out. And, you know, I, like, I think it's a huge step for us as an offense um, this year. And, and uh, hopefully we can, you know, build on it going forward. Hey, Jake, and then Pat. James, uh, are you at this point, maybe you can't answer this question specifically, are you anticipating at this point that you will have a rotation at right guard next to you between Connor and Joe? I, I don't know. Uh, I thought both those guys played good when they were in there. They're both, you know, um, stepping up to the plate and, and to the challenge. And, you know, I'm proud of both of them and, and how they're playing. Um I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not the rotation master. I don't, I don't make those calls. We'll leave that up to coach funk and uh, he's been doing a great job with it. And so, you know, I know everybody's going to be prepared to play and, you know, not just the guys that have been playing, but also everybody else, you know, as, as we prepare and practice and get ready. So um, confident in our group, I, like I, like I was saying, I was proud of how everybody played and, and uh, looking forward to continuing to get better and, and use this as a, as a stepping stone. 
Just looking at some of the grades after that game from Pro Football Focus, and Blake Freeland for the second straight week was graded quite highly as an offensive lineman from that game. This guy didn't play offensive line before getting to BYU. You can just talk a little bit about how he has developed during his time there in Provo. Yeah, so the last few years, Blake Blake's developed a ton. I mean, like you like you mentioned, he he played a little bit of quarterback in high school, a little bit of DN in high school. You know, not not necessarily in the O line, but he's got that O line body. He's got the height. He's got the long arms, and and so you know, he was able to move into that role. Um, as as time's gone on, you know, he's he's extremely athletic, so it's it was kind of easy for him to pick up the basics and just to see him improve day to day. You know, he's really bought into it and and uh, you know has a great feel for the game, and I, I think you know the sky's the limit for that guy. Hey, uh, thanks for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Um, BYU obviously will be leading the uh, Pac-12 uh, standings right now. You'd be tied at least. Uh, I guess what's it like uh, playing so many Pac-12 teams in a row? Oh, well, just just the I mean, Arizona is a, a good team. Utah's a good team. Um, being able to play um, that that caliber of team early is is great for us. You know, it's we get a, a ton of learning, a ton of great competition, you know, chances to improve and grow. And, and in moments like this, you know, check out the film and, and see what you can do better to prepare for the next one. And, you know, looking looking forward or we're excited for this challenge. You know, ASU's, you know, they've, they've got a ton of talent. They play really hard and they're they're a physical team. And so, you know, we're excited to just, you know, uh, step up to the plate for the next challenge and, and hopefully keep this thing rolling. All right. Last two questions, Jake and then Sean. Yeah, James, um, zero sacks from the Utah defense. No, no hurries, really. The only time we were seeing Jaron Hall on the ground was when he was running down the field lowering the shoulder into defenders um what was your conversation like with jaron after the game how did you guys you know feel about that that performance and your ability to keep him safe in the pocket yeah well i was i was proud of that like i was saying i was proud of how everybody played i thought you know the the utah defense they're they're always really good they played good saturday night and um you know they're they're definitely a challenge and i was i was proud of how we you know stepped up to the plate and 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 played um it, it was i didn't know we had you know you just kind of play i, I don't really know the stats still after the game you know and and we ended up having zero sacks and you know that's just a tribute to the guys playing their butts off and the coaches preparing us and and jaron um you know kind of getting getting out of trouble with his feet a little bit you know so love love having him back there i thought he had a great game and uh just excited to keep keep going james i don't need to explain to you why the rivalry game is a little bit different the emotions are heightened and even coming down from it is a little bit heightened coach clown you talked a little bit about that too kind of coming down on sunday when you guys come off of that rivalry high though and look ahead to a ranked team, a top 20 team on the schedule. Does that catch your attention a little bit more to where you can maybe point to the younger guys and say, Hey, refocus, like this team's just as good. Let's go. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, so far just seeing some of the guys here this morning, we haven't had our, our meetings yet or anything. Um, that's, that's later this afternoon. Um, we'll hear in a little bit actually, but, uh, just, just talking to the guys, I think, um, you know, it, Saturday was so much fun, but you know that winning that game isn't our end goal. You know we have we have ten more games to 
to battle, especially this one this week. And, you know, I think guys are guys are um, already turning their focus towards ASU and and um, looking forward to that game. And so, yeah, super, super excited about it. They're you know, they've been good on film so far. Going to be a great challenge. And, you know, we're excited to, to get rolling this week and, and uh, start working our butts off. There is James Empey. Now here is Ed Lamb. Good evening, coach. Um, <clears throat> Just kind of curious as to, um, you know, how, how much of Arizona State have you kind of looked at from a defensive perspective and, and what challenges do they present in your, in your estimation? Um, we, our entire defensive staff has looked at every game they played this year and last year. And then we went back, um, the offensive coordinator has a history at Boise State. And so we actually have um, experience there facing some of his philosophies, things change for everybody over the course of a season, uh, much less a couple of years, but there are some consistencies. Um, the things that schematically give us issues are the number of formations and shifts and, and motions. And um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a good balance between vertical play and horizontal play by the offense. They attack you both ways. And, um, and, then, and then from a personnel standpoint, Arizona State has a lot of speed, a lot of a dynamic ability. That all starts with the, the backfield, their quarterback and their running back. And, and they've got good players, uh, you know, at, really at every position. It's a major challenge for us. Okay, let's go, Jared and then Sean. Hey, Ed. I wanted to kind of talk philosophically about the defense because it seems like you and, you know, the staff has been building up to a point where you can be a little bit more aggressive. What's made the difference that has allowed you to, to kind of call more blitzes and, and be more aggressive uh, up front? Yeah, the, the recruitment and development of man-to-man -man players um, in the in the secondary, that's the, you know, that's if, if you're going to be aggressive, there's just really not a way to be aggressive with uh, zone defenses if, if aggression is blitz. And and sometimes, you know, as coaches, we, we, we have to consider, you know, how we want to be aggressive. You know, flooding the backfield is one way to be aggressive. Flooding the defensive backfield is another way to be aggressive against the forward pass. And there's been times we had to do that. But right now we feel like we're at a really good place with our corners and their ability to match up man-to-man, -man, safeties as well. Um, linebackers that can bring pressure and defensive line that are stout and, and uh, are getting better and better. Some of those young guys and their pass rushing abilities. So I think it's, you know, a good, a good coach, probably in any sport, I would imagine just does what their players can do best. How much fun is it to be able to have those options this year? Because you guys have, have dialed up a lot of blitzes. Um, yeah, I, I think that's, yeah, that, that, I know players like to be, you know, challenged uh, to, to play as much one-on-one um, -on -one as they can, to be as aggressive as they can, to create as much havoc as they can. And so it's fun to be able to put them in systems where, um, you know, where you feel like you're, 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 we're giving them, we're showing them that we have confidence in their ability to win one-on-one -on -one matchups. Uh, coach, that was actually almost exactly the question I was going to ask you as well was about that pressure because I, I think it was Peyton the other day or it might have been so one of the two was talking about how pressure in a lot of ways we see it in the front seven, um, but it starts in the back. So much of it starts in the backfield. Is, is that just kind of you think what they were talking about with, with pressure really starting in the backfield was being able to contain the backfield in man-to-man -man coverage or, or can there maybe even be a little bit more where 
the defensive backfield kind of gets involved in, in pressure, whether that's sacks and tackles for loss or even just, you know, passing game pressure like you were talking about. Yeah, it's, it certainly can be. Um, it, just, it just becomes a question of, again, what can the players do? And so how many guys on the field are capable of covering? You know, it's always kind of, as, as a coach, sometimes we, you get questions maybe just hanging out at the grocery store or hanging out at a family reunion and, hey, why don't you double cover so-and-so? And then it's like, eh, well, if we double cover that guy, then who do we not cover, you know? And, well, if we, if we bring the, all these secondary guys in the blitzes, then who has to cover these so, talented wide receivers out there on the edge? So it's really just a matter of taking a look at the, you know, 15, 16, 17 guys that come through the rotation and, and are, you know, that we consider our best – our best group of players and then, and then doing as much as we possibly can with them being as aggressive as we possibly can. And I think, you know, I think, I think coach Tuiaki has been doing that really for six years. And, and what you're seeing here is all, it's all about players. It's player centric. There's not, there's not a pressure. There's not a blitz that we've run in the last two weeks that hasn't been in our playbook since day one, when we got together six years ago. All right, Mitch and then Shep. Coach, we, we hear the uh, the phrase, you know, you improve the most from week one to week two. Now that the first two weeks are in the books, where did the defense and special teams, for that matter, maybe improve the most from that week one to week two from your film study? Well, I've, I um, it was good to get Jake Oldroyd back in, in the kicking game. You know, Justin Smith stepped in and did a nice job there um, against Arizona. But, uh, you know, Jake, from the kickoff standpoint, was able to give us uh, a little bit more hang time and distance. And, and uh, so we were able to go down and, and uh, cover kicks a little bit better and keep their kickoff return game from being much of a factor. And then, um, you know, the, the punt, I thought we regressed a little bit. I got to give credit, of course, to, to Utah and their ability to return punts. And, and uh, they did a great job of blocking up some things. Uh, Ryan Rico, I've got to do a better job with him. He's a real weapon, and, and we could have done some things to negate that. Um, it, it, you asked, if I remember right, you asked the question about special teams and defense. Yeah, if you could okay. share some yeah. inside defense too. Uh, the kickoff return and the punt return weren't much of a factor in the game uh, for us from our return standpoint. And then, and then defensively, I, I feel like the guys are playing with a lot of confidence in each other right now. And that's, you know, I, I think some of the previous questions I've been answered allude to that as well from a, from a coach to player standpoint, but I think our players are gaining a lot of confidence in each other and that helps to them to play aggressive and play one 11th football. And, in fact, uh, we were we were disappointed. A, a, a large chunk of the yardage that we gave up the other night was just uh, some mental errors where maybe we weren't playing one eleventh football. We were trying to do too much and play outside the system. And, and this weekend, the uh, one of the teams that you were part of as a player, 1996 squad, is going to be honored over the weekend. I know you're going to be preparing for the game, and you're not going to probably have much time to uh, really celebrate with those guys, but they're all coming into town. Maybe just – can you reflect on maybe the, the legacy that that 96 team has had on, on BYU football and, and maybe your relationship with those guys over the years? Oh, yeah, that's you know how it is. We uh, play alongside guys like that and then are able to accomplish something special. And, um, you know, many of the guys I'm still in touch with uh, regularly. Others, it's it, it's kind of interesting maybe not to see somebody for 10 years and then and then see someone at a function. And it's uh, it's like we you know, there was never any break. 
in the in the conversation and so it's it's uh, i'm really looking forward to seeing the guys get back here there's that legacy that uh you know byu is always going to have we've got several of my former teammates sons and and nephews on this team and um, that's always a family affair at byu and uh, of course, you know, to be able to to see some of those guys this uh, this Saturday and hopefully give them something to cheer about, that's, um, you know, that's very important to me. Thanks. Coach, are, are there enough similarities between Jaron and Jaden Daniels that in terms of preparation, uh, going against Jaron helps you against a quarterback like Jaden Daniels in terms of trying to keep him in the pocket and, and keep that containment? Of course. Yeah. We see that, uh, you know, for years now, um, working against Jaron and, you know, whether it's spring practice or a chunk of, um, a, a chunk of fall camp. And then on a day-to-day basis during the season, we don't, we don't match up, uh, you know, travel squad against travel squad, offense, defense very often, but we do it for maybe 10, 15, even 20 minutes uh, per day. And we have always had to have some running quarterback packages in the, in the defense. And it's, and, and fortunately we've always had a few guys that can do that starting, you know, with Taysom the first year we were here and, and on down, there's always been somebody that can help prepare us for the game day when we have that uh, challenge. Thanks coach. All right. Last question, Jay. Hey Ed, uh, you just mentioned the legacy players and uh, players on your team now with, with fathers that played is that prevalent, more prevalent at BYU in your experience than other schools, or is that just kind of pretty commonplace? Well, it sure is for me, but uh, but also, you know, coaching at BYU has been a real blessing for me. I, I've been at some other schools that don't have a strong tradition, so I wonder if, it, you know, if it's – if it's all at BYU, if it's all the church affiliation and the fact that, you know, young men often want to go up, uh, grow up wanting to come to BYU for the, the chance to live their, you know, spiritual lives in the way that they envision. But I've got to think part of it too, is just the, the long legacy of success and fathers are graduating from here, from their experience here and look back fondly on it and, and the success. And they want that uh, for their sons, regardless of the, of the spiritual aspect. And, and that's what makes BYU such a special place to coach as well. Is it, you know, there's a, there's a strong tradition here that we get to inherit and be a part of. And then I just want to ask you a little bit about Isaiah Heron. I know you don't coach him, you know, directly, but you recruited him and you, you kind of found him out of Las Vegas, if I remember right. Uh, how proud of you are you of him and what he's done? And also did it take some talking into to keep him when he entered the tra- entered the transfer portal and then came back? Um, yeah, great questions. Uh, yeah, so Isaiah, I, yeah, I was uh, Isaiah's first offer. Um, I have a really good relationship with his high school coach, and um, and and yeah, I, I can remember when we when I first met Isaiah and offered him on the spot. Uh, watched him run around a little bit and uh, was able to just make the offer right there that day. And, um, yeah, so any, any time that there's a, there's a handful of players on our team that that's the situation, you know, where, where uh, as a coach, you make that first offer and you can see the joy and the wonderment and uh, the, the dreams kind of flash across the face of the young man. And, and so to see that at that time, to be able to remember that um, and then over the years to develop a relationship and see him go through ups and downs. And, and it's just part of college and part of growing up. And, you know, there's not, not a lot of growth that occurs without struggle. And he's had his struggles here and he's had his triumphs. And right now he's just on such a hot streak and um, has learned from, 
from things in the past that he wants to be, you know, that he wanted to improve on, on and off the field. And I'm, I'm so proud of him right now. So, so happy to see him every day, the attitude that he brings, the leadership that he brings and what he's bringing to the field. It's, uh, I think it, I think it really transcends not just through the whole defensive backfield, but the whole team. The, uh, the, the question you had about the transfer portal, you know, I'm really, uh, I've always had a, a good relationship of trust with uh, Isaiah and that's what I wanted to keep. And we had a pretty lengthy conversation when he made that decision. And I said that I was 100% in support of his decision. I don't believe in trying to talk guys into staying. I wouldn't do that as a, in, in any type of business. And I, I don't want people here that aren't 100% sure that they want to be here. And so I think that what that did, that afforded him the time. And uh, it was about uh, just, you know, I don't know, it seemed like to me five or 10 days later that uh, I got a call back from him where he appreciated the support and, and encouragement and had second thoughts and wanted to know if we would consider taking him back. And um, absolutely, of course, we're in this until the end for him. All right, there's BYU's Ed Lamb. We're going to take a break. When we come back, PK and I with Dylan Colley. Stay with us. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. After a disappointing loss in the Holy War, the Utes look to rebound as they hit the road to square off against an old Mountain West Conference rival in San Diego State. Catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 4 with a postgame show immediately following the game on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! The 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Dylan Colley on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Dylan Colley, how happy are you? I am uh, pretty enthused. It was a decent weekend, to say the least. What'd you guys do? Not as much praying and fasting as you. I remember your prediction, and I thought during that game, I thought, look at him go. He hasn't eaten since he was on the radio. Yeah, exactly. Starved myself. I saw those two interceptions and thought, Dylan's been working it. First rain, then a BYU victory. What are you people up to next? Exactly. Don't ever question it. <laughs> so what was the to you the most impressive part of that win? The one thing that aside from the win and you want to beat your rival, but I know you want the rest of the season to go really well too and you saw it and you thought if they can do that, then it's going to be really good going forward. Yeah, I I mean you kind of uh you look at the way the offensive line played and the kind of just dominance up front. Um, and it's hard not to think, Hey, this group of guys up front led by James MP, if they continue to do what they did throughout the entire season, it's going to be very, very difficult to beat BYU. Um, and you know, with that foundation, obviously everything just kind of, fell into place with the rest of it, right? And, you know, the, the running backs were able to run at 100 miles an hour downhill, 
and make contact, you know, a yard, two yards past the line, which is, is absolutely critical. And so those little things just don't happen without, without the offensive line that, you know, uh, in the way that they play. So I'm stepping back after they won on Sunday thinking, you know, what are we going to talk about and how do we put this in perspective? And the one thing that came to my mind is the maturity of the program. And what I mean by that, you got Kalani Sitake's in his sixth year, and so he's a first-time head coach. You got uh, Tuiaki, defensive coordinator, first-time defensive coordinator. He's in his sixth year. You got a bunch of guys on the defensive staff, Ed Lamb, uh, General Guilford. Those guys have been there for a while. Offensively, after two years, they go and make significant changes, obviously. They bring in Jeff Grimes. He takes off, but they bring in Fessy Zataki, who'd been a coordinator at Weber. They've been at A-Rod, who'd been a coordinator at Utah. So all of a sudden now, you got all sorts of experience. Plus, we know with LDS guys, they go on missions. Maybe it takes a year for them to get the body back. So the point being that it's going to take a few years. It's not like every most every other program in the country. You sign somebody, you bring him in the following season, and then he's ready to go. If not then, by the next year. At BYU, it takes two to three, maybe even four years years with mm-hmm. Jaron Hall in his fourth year. So the point I'm making is that this is where the program is at, and it took some time to get there. Now, with that in mind, you can see that, but do you think the program has arrived now to where, okay, we've got it because now you'll send kids out to do their mission, but you also get kids back now, so the cycle will be what it is, and we should expect, especially with Big 12 membership, the program going forward to be able to win consistently. Yeah, I, I, I arrived. I don't know if that is is the right mindset. Yes, I think there's probably another. You know, depending on how consistent they say this season, and then going into next season, I, that type of success will truly determine the future. Are they? Is the momentum better than it has been? And obviously, you know, probably a decade plus, one hundred percent. And. I think they're in a extremely, extremely good place to kind of catapult themselves into that discussion where it is, hey, BYU's going to win consistently, you know, for the next 10, 15 years because of the talent that, you know, we'll expect to have uh, due to, you know, obviously the maturity in the program due to the announcement of, of the Big 12 and, and all those pieces. And so um, arrived, probably not. Uh, headed there and, and doing it quickly, absolutely. It was it was a very fast two year turnaround, and then what we've seen has happened. You know, probably quicker than most most programs in regards to where they were at and now where they're headed. So it sounds like you're taking a little bit of a wait and see attitude. So with Arizona State coming in, are you a little worried that that big emotional win there's going to be a letdown and we're going to be slamming on the brakes by Saturday night? No, and I think that goes back to the maturity, right? I think if there was one opportunity, like I said the week before, this win determines really what goes forward. Um, and, you know, ultimately there is going to be no greater pressure that outside sources put on Jaron and put on the BYU team uh, than, you know, what they've had this last week, right? Everybody wanted them, especially from, right, the, the northern side, even though it's not a rivalry to them, right? Everybody from the northern side wanted BYU, the momentum to come to a halt Saturday night. And that's what was expected. And so to have somebody like Jaron, who's never started in this game, never played in this game, to come in and show the patience, 
right, show the maturity that he did, I mean, there isn't going to be a tougher mental task put on him the rest of this season. Unless, right, now I'm not getting ahead of myself here, unless they went out and are looking at, you know, vying for a playoff option, only because, right, that is a, a potential step. You know what I'm saying? So the rest of the season, he's able to look back and say, okay, I got through that and look at how I did it, right? Now he just kind of has a clear path to use it as, you know, that foundation and, and stepping stone to, to start, you know, taking baby steps even higher. I'm interested to know what you think about the Big 12 membership and what that can do. The way I look at it is that there's going to be, uh, particularly in the West, a fair amount of kids who are going to want to go to BYU because they're because it is BYU. They're of the uh, religious affiliation. I look at your brother Austin, who was a big-time player, could have gone to a number of schools, obviously played in the NFL, but he wanted to BYU for you know football and probably the religious connection. So they'll get those kids, but how about the possibility of expanding to maybe get some other kids and really make a difference in the program? Uh, it's going to be – it is going to be absolutely huge. I think the main name you look at in the past and you say, okay, what's the potential, right, is is Jamal, is Jamal Williams. Uh, kid from Fontana, right, came in, non-member, um, and really took hold of the BYU culture, right, and said, hey, I'm not going to really conform. There is not this – there might be some pressure to, right, especially almost 10 years ago, but I'm going to be myself and watch me succeed. And so you use that and you see kind of the guys um, that, uh, you know, are willing, right? Five-star, four-star guys that even before the Big 12 membership this past couple of years are saying, yeah, BYU is a place to be. And now that momentum is only going to carry. And I talk about momentum because right now I don't think that there's a program, uh, you know, within – you know, outside of maybe, you know, the the other power fives and the SEC teams, right? But when you talk about momentum in recruiting, BYU has probably the most most momentum going forward because of the Big 12. And then you look at guys that are willing and wanting to play at a program that has, you know, a winning culture, and that's where they're headed. A program that's in the power five, and that's where they're headed. A program that has, you know, unbelievable swag and, partnerships with some of the largest companies in the world, one of the best Nike partnerships in the world, right? You take those three things and you give that to an 18-year-old kid, it's, uh, it's a shoe-in, right? No matter what is happening outside of that, those three things are going to carry recruiting for a very long time. And then you look at the values of the school, uh, and it's the same thing that happened for Nicole Williams, Jamal's mom. And she said, I want my son to be here. And so all of those things kind of lined up, and then you end up having, right, in my opinion, the greatest running back in BYU history. Dylan Colley joining us, former BYU wide receiver. Everything's coming up roses. You sound very positive right now. Are there any potholes you see going forward? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's always going to be, you know, how does everybody respond, Right. Or how long can you stay on cloud nine and what's your mindset moving forward? It goes back to, are we looking at it as a foundational thing or are we looking at it as, oh, we're already at the top? 
and it can be difficult with all of the hype and with everything and the notoriety, right, and the attention. It's kind of difficult to look at it as, hey, we're just getting started. People can say it, but how do we actually mean it, right? And so the the big question is going to be how does this team, you know, look at it as, hey, we still have a long way to climb, even though we're going to get there together, right, and we have a really good opportunity to, we can't fall off thinking that this is the top of it, right, because we're only two games into the season. So that's, that's hands down my biggest worry. How about the Nakua brothers, what they bring? You know, there was a little bit of trash talking, taking off the helmets. That's something we normally see in Provo, but is that something that's actually needed? Uh, absolutely. I mean, you look at you look at the other guys that have brought that type of mentality. You look at the mentality that Max and Austin brought to the game. You look at the mentality that Jamal brought to the game, right? There's this chip on the shoulder and confidence knowing Hey, we really we can't be stopped, and and you're gonna you're gonna have to stop me because I'm not stopping right myself. And so, what Puka and Samson did Saturday, Puka right coming in doing what he did, expected necessary right to play that physical. That's why he is the highly touted receiver that he is, and that's why he's going to be unbelievably successful. What Samson did on Saturday, even outside of the play, to mentally break down that team, right? That he really did. He, he left, okay, for obviously different reasons that we, you know, can assume and say, hey, yep, he wanted to go play at BYU. But the reaction that you, the teammates were giving him, right, kind of that, hey, you're being cut off, the friendship, the loyalty, and then to have him come back and do what he did Right, and then to kind of open it up, I don't think people understand how difficult that is for someone and for an entire team to take, right? And I think that was a huge part of kind of that mental dominance that BYU had on Saturday simply because of what Samson was doing to his whole team. And, you know, are there moments where it can become a little much? Sure. But ultimately, right, those penalties and, and that kind of, you know, uh, that mentality that, that those two dudes had, and especially Samson and what he was able to kind of do to his old team, um, that's the type of mentality that needs to be carried the rest of the season. So what's your level of confidence for being Arizona State? Both teams are 2-0. and Both teams are ranked. Whoever loses this, that's early in the season and kind of disappear off the national radar. But if you win this at 3-0, and a little higher ranked, it sets the stage for the next thing. Yeah, I mean, obviously you're going up against a very, very similar team to Utah, right? And, and then being in the Pac-12, I think that there is going to be a little bit of a, hey, these guys, you know, like I said Saturday night, these guys think that they have a place in the Pac-12. Um, and so they're, you know, obviously a very athletic team. They're extremely well coached. Uh, I think they're one of those teams that's starting to turn a corner in terms of momentum in the same way that BYU has. And so, you know, you have uh, the opportunity to really kind of close out uh, a solid three weeks. Um, you know, I, I do believe that BYU is in the best position to win, um, especially with it being back at Lavelle Edwards Stadium uh, and kind of the energy that was brought this last weekend. I, I think that continues on. Um, 
and you know it's obviously going to be a very good game. But I think I think BYU's in the driver's seat. So the last time BYU fans stormed the field, and I had no problem with them doing it. It's fun. It's college, so you know, go ahead and do it. Was uh, September fourteenth, uh, twenty nineteen, against SC? Right? You remember that game it was in overtime. Yeah. And the point I'm getting to is that it's such emotion expense expended as it was uh, Saturday night, and then I'm looking at the schedule right now. And then they lose the next three weeks. Uh, Washington handled them at home, and then they go to Toledo and South mm-hmm. Florida and lose. So, what's your level of concern on carryover emotionally? Yeah, there's. I mean, once again, right? You go back to the level of the maturity of the team. The USC win, right? Did that deserve a, a storming of the field? Probably not. Um, and so. You know, the, the leadership and the guys that are, are here now have been there long enough to see that they've lost those three games after last USC win, right? Uh, like I said, is it something to worry about? Absolutely, right? Because it's a matter of what your mindset is and where your vision's at. Is it a foundational win or is it the cloud nine? And if you're already at cloud nine, then everything else you're kind of looking down as, you know, hey, it doesn't really matter. Whereas... I believe the program is in a position, especially with the coaches in place now, that, hey, it's a foundational win, and we go up from here. And so that energy from the team needs to be kind of shown throughout this season. It doesn't matter really what the fans do, right? The fans are going to be obnoxious. The fans are going to do what they want. As long as the team stays within the locker room and, and focuses on the next one, then you know they should, they should be able to overcome Dylan, as always, we appreciate the time. We will talk to you next week. And uh, I think most of the fan base just looks to you now. More fasting, more praying, 3-0, baby. It's all you. You've got the power. There's Dylan Colley. Coming up next, what is trending? All the headlines next on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.